I enjoy the Word, and the Old Testament is an exciting portion of the Word of God. It is a book of illustrations of New Testament truth, not just to give us some devotional reading or to give us some insight as to how life was lived centuries ago, but these things are written that you might have examples. These are living illustrations of New Testament truth. We are to profit by all Scripture. It's given by inspiration of God. And this Old Testament portion records for us a slice of life in a young man's life by the name of Uzziah. We'll give you just a brief background as far as his father is concerned, who was on the throne of Judah. Verse 1 of chapter 25 talks about Amaziah, 25 years of age when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem, capital of Judah. You need to appreciate, and for the benefit of those that may be fairly new, Israel had enjoyed 120 years of united country and relative order under King Saul and David and Solomon. But after Solomon's reign, the 12 tribes of Israel were divided by civil war. Ten of the tribes were located in the north. Their capital city was Samaria. They were known as Israel. Two of the tribes located in the south, their headquarters was in Jerusalem. They were known as Judah. Each of them had their own king on the throne, their own administration, their own history. And if you don't get that, you'll have a hard time understanding Kings and Chronicles because it'll be talking about Israel and Judah and the one king reigning over one area, another king reigning over another, and uh, their defeats and their captivities will be confusing unless you can understand the difference between Israel and Judah. Uh, Amaziah was located in Jerusalem. He was reigning king over Judah. And for 29 years, verse 2 said, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But a qualifier at the end of that verse says, but not with a perfect heart. That means he lived somewhat of a compromising life and ruled Israel with somewhat of a compromising leadership. The record is given for us in the balance of the chapter, how that the Lord did give him success in victory over the Edomites and led him specifically. We don't have time to read through the entire portion but the 13th verse indicates the fact that uh, the soldiers and army which Amaziah sent back that should not go with him to battle 
And then the last portion says, And there smote there three thousand of them, and took much spoil. Of the spoil that they had taken from battle, Amaziah became intrigued with the idols that the Edomites had worshipped. Verse 14, It came to pass, after Amaziah had come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the children of Edom with him, and set them up as his gods, and bowed down himself before them, and burned incense to them. God brings a message to him in verse 15, Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? He said, This is ridiculous, Amaziah. You have just defeated the Edomites. You have brought their gods back as part of the spoil. Why would you set them up as gods to be worshipped and burn incense to them when their gods couldn't deliver them? Their gods couldn't spare them from your hand. Why would you possibly worship these heathen idols, idol gods? But he persisted and did not receive the message that God had given to him, and eventually God designs judgment to remove him from the throne. The last verses from verse 27, after that time Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord. They made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled, but they pursued him and slew him. And they brought upon horses and buried him with his father in the cities of Judah. The opening verses of chapter 26 introduce us to the character we want to see today. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father. And the Holy Spirit just seems to want to impress on our minds that this was a young man. Verse 3 opens again with the same statement. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. Over a half century, this young man was the king of Judah. In a time when kings lasted sometimes only a period of months, this young man was able to rule successfully for over half a century. Now, I wonder if you realize what it might be like for a 16-year-old to assume the throne of a mighty nation like Judah. Now, let me just see. I know 16 is a, an age you're proud of. How many 16-year-olds do we have here this morning? Let me see your hand. You're 16 and proud of it. All right, there's two right here. There's always one in every crowd. Today we've got two on this side. In the first service, John Everhart was back there, and uh, I know he's about retirement age, and he raised his hand. He was 16. So we've got two teenagers on this side this morning. But can you imagine that if 
something tragic might happen to our president and this morning limousines would pull up outside of our door and secret service would come into this service and choose one of our 16 year olds and whisk them off to the airport and there on Air Force One, someone administered the oath of office, and by tonight, they would be sitting in the Oval Office as the President of the United States, 16 years of age. Those of you who are 16, can you imagine what it would be, what a life-changing experience that would be to have resting on your shoulders the leadership of your nation? And for the rest of us, can you imagine what it would be like to have a 16-year-old at the White House and the, the future and destiny of our nation resting upon their shoulders. But this is the case, and the Holy Spirit saw fit to repeat to us the fact that, verse 3, he was 16 when he began to reign. Verse 4 is really a tremendous statement, but he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. How many know there are not age limits on significant service to Jesus Christ. Teenager, you don't have to wait till you can vote to serve the Lord. You may be 16 or younger this morning, but you are significant in the kingdom of God. You are not the church of tomorrow. You are very much a part of the church of Jesus Christ here and now. And you have a whole peer group that you can minister to. And God, I believe, has ordained you to significant service. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 5, And he sought God in the days of Zacharias, who had understanding of the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Would you please underscore that in your Bible? Because I believe that the Lord quickened to my heart the the scriptures in Hosea that were repeated last Sunday morning, it is time to seek the Lord until he come and rain righteousness upon us. And I believe there's a connection here between a person seeking God and the prosperity and success that God desires to give us. And when we stop seeking God, we stop prospering in the, in the ways that God has ordained for us to move. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosperous. The challenge of that spans the centuries to this morning. And the challenge is to every believer, to every Christian, regardless of what age, that we need to have as a priority in our lives, seeking the face of the Lord. As long as we will do that, we're going to succeed. Our failures can be traced to our prayerlessness. Our success can be traced to our prayer life. With that in mind, we're challenged this morning to say, Lord, I know that if there's going to be victory, it will be directly as a result of my following the example of Uzziah, and as long as we'll seek the Lord, he'll make us prosper. Young people, you cannot do a better thing for yourself then seek God. That's too quiet. That was a good place to say amen. You missed a good spot. You cannot do a better thing for yourself than to seek the Lord. God will make your way prosperous if you'll seek Him. 
And you're declaring your dependence, your reliance upon God. Let me broaden that. Maybe there's a bigger amen. Mom and Dad, you can't do a better thing for yourself than to seek God. Because as long as he sought God, he made him to prosper. Verse 7 says, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in the land. Militarily, God blessed him and helped him. The Amorites gave gifts to Uzziah. His name was spread abroad, even to Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. Architecturally, God blessed him. He began to build towers in Jerusalem at the corner of the gates, the valley gate and the turning of the wall, fortifying them. Built towers in the desert and dig many wells. For they had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains. Husbandmen also, vine dressers in the mountains of Carmel, for he loved husbandry. Moreover, Uzziah had an host of fighting men that went out to war by bands. According to the number of their account, by the hand of the men that are identified whose number and chief fathers, mighty men of valor, were 2,600. God blessed him with engineering ability. Verse 15, he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers, upon the bulwarks, to shoot arrows and great stones with all. And his name spread far abroad. For he was marvelously helped. And I wish it stopped right there. I wish that was the end of the sentence. But it doesn't finish there. Until he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. What a sad postscript to a brilliant beginning young man of 16 and as long as he sought the Lord God made him to prosper they prospered militarily they prospered economically God gave him insight and abilities with engineering and new inventions marvelously helped until he was strong how many know that at times we don't seek God as desperately when things are going well as when our backs are to the wall. When we recognize our need of God's hand and God's help in our lives and we seek the Lord in earnest, but when success comes, when prosperity comes, our success can be our greatest enemy because then we feel independent rather than dependent upon God. What a tragedy that is in our lives. Someone said that practical atheism is practiced by those who believe in God but live as though he doesn't exist. Practical atheism is practiced by those who believe in God but live as though he does not exist. I can make it Lord on my own now. 
thank you for helping me get started. I can handle it from here. Prayer is always our declaring our dependence upon God. When we bow in His presence and we look into His face, we're saying, Lord, without You, I can do nothing. And we're recognizing that we need His help and we're seeking His face or we can't make it. That will never change. There will never come a day when we can stand on our own and say, don't need you anymore, Lord. Thanks for your help in the past. Regardless of what blessing the Lord gives us, what a tragedy it is when that blessing becomes a curse. And it becomes so if it makes us feel as though we can get along without the Lord. That, my friend, is ungodliness. Godliness is when God is included in the life. Ungodliness is just what the word implies without God. And when we feel we can function without God and we do not feel the need for prayer, then difficulty is the obvious result. Until he was strong. That's what brings unique temptations all its own. Strength, prosperity, and blessing can present to us its own strategy for failure. Unless we are reminded, and I like the verses that Luba had quoted, don't forget when the blessings come, don't forget. For the tendency uh, in Deuteronomy was, lest you forget the word that is the key word for Deuteronomy is remember. That word is repeated hundreds of times through the book. Remember, remember. And we need to have our minds anointed with the Spirit of God. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his own destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple to burn incense upon the altar of incense. We go to church often. We are found in the house of God routinely. Dear God, may it never become routine. May entering the presence of God, whether it's at home in our prayer closet or when we enter the doors of of a, a sanctuary that it becomes routine. The greatest manifestations of grace take place in the house of God. And I think the greatest sins are take, take place in the house of God. Just because we attend church does not mean we are better off because we have come. I think the greatest sin that a person can commit is to refuse and reject the offer of God's grace. Do you agree? That takes place in church. That doesn't take place in the bar or on the street corner. That takes place in church. 
that takes place in the presence of God under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit who's calling and drawing that person to a place of grace in God. We are not going to be separated from God for eternity because we've done this or this or the other, but we will be separated from God for eternity because we have spurned His grace. We have refused His offer of forgiveness and His, His offer of repentance. That will be the one sin of sin because you believe not on me. That's the sin that separates us from God forever. That takes place at an altar call. When an evangelist or a pastor offers to you the, the, the invitation of God's forgiveness, and we say, no, thank you, Lord. That sin, I believe, supersedes all sin. But the greatest miracles take place in the presence of God when we receive the offer of God's grace and when we respond to the invitation of God's forgiveness. The greatest of all miracles takes place in that moment. Greater than blind eyes being opened, greater than cancers being removed, greater than deaf ears being unstopped, when a person is translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It doesn't get any bigger than that. That happens in the presence of God. The greatest demonstrations of God's power and of His grace take place in church, and the greatest sins that man can commit take place in the house of God. Jesus talked about two men sitting in the same church in the same pew, one man lifting his eyes toward heaven, and he prayed and said, God, I'm so glad I'm not like this man sitting next to me. Obvious a sinner, but I fast twice a week, and I pay my tithes. And he rehearsed before God all of his good works. Jesus said, that man went out the door condemned. But in the same role, the man who would not lift his eyes, but he cried to God, Be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me, Jesus said. That man went home justified. Two men in the same church, the same pew. One left church condemned, one left church justified. Because of their response to the presence of God. David struggled with some things that he saw seeming unjust, the prosperity of the wicked, and he really wrestled, Lord, how can it be so? These people don't love you, don't serve you, and yet life seems to treat them very well. And I'm having a hard time, and I just can't reconcile the fact that I'm serving you, and this is the case. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord something happened in church. Then I understood their end, he said, and it really helped me to realize that life for me at this moment was not all there was, but it's the life after that really matters. And he said, I, that revelation blessed me. And he went home from church blessed. His eyes had been opened to a dimension he hadn't seen, and it put perspective into his soul. Hallelujah. Ananias and Sapphira came to church to give an offering. Of all things, don't you think the Lord would appreciate someone giving them an offering? 
but instead of being received that offering was given under false motive false pretense and was not accepted but rather rejected of God so just walking through the door and occupying a pew and being a part of a congregation doesn't necessarily compute that because we've been here, we're better than we were before we came in. What takes place here while we're here will determine how we leave here. And I don't think we're ever the same once we've been in the presence of God. We are either better or worse because we've been here this morning, but you will not leave the same way you came through the door. You will be closer to God. You will be moving into his will, fulfilling his purpose, or you will be moving backward and moving away from him. What it is called today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Isn't that the scripture? You cannot... You cannot hear his voice and not have some kind of response, either yes, Lord, or no, thank you. And uh, this young man now enters the presence of God. He walks into the temple and begins to do what he has not been consecrated to do. Only the priests have been consecrated to offer the incense before the Lord. And uh, in his bigness now he's strong you see the sin of presumption and pride takes over and he begins to offer what he is not consecrated to offer let it just simply represent a transgression he's transgressing against what God has ordained for him let it just represent to us transgression the high priest confronted him, and 80 of the priests gathered around and said, Please, Uzziah, don't do this. This is not what God wants you to do. This is a transgression of God's purpose. You have not been consecrated for this action, for this activity. That was for him the critical moment. Listen to me this morning. That, for us, is always the critical moment. It's not when we pick up the censer. It's not when we begin to sin. That's the critical moment, as critical as that is. But it's the moment the Holy Spirit confronts us and says to us, No, don't do this. This is a transgression. This is not what God has ordained. This is not what God desires if Uzziah had just set the censer down and said to the high priest, you're right, this is not what God wants me to do, and backed off, the record would have been different. But instead of taking the convicting message from the high priest and those priests, he was angry, and he said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so he insisted and pushed on past them to offer the incense. And leprosy came upon his forehead, and they rushed him out of the temple, a leper. With that incurable, deadly disease that indicated the judgment of God, that only God could cure. 
separated from the throne, separated from his family and from the house of God, he died of that disease. And there is a message for us, young and old, when we take up the censer, whatever that transgression is, and all of us sin, God inspired John to write, I've given you these words that you don't sin, but if you do, knowing that it isn't necessary for us to sin, but we do. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. How many know that the Holy Spirit is a specialist? And the minute we, we begin to take up the censor, he's there to say, uh-uh, don't do that. Doesn't take him all day. He's on the spot and he says, no, this is not right. This is not what I've ordained. At that moment, we've got a critical choice to make. Are we going to say, you're right, Lord, put the censor down and back out? Or are we going to say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do? And when we decide that's our course, leprosy comes upon us. How many realize what I'm saying? And that choice can come today, tomorrow, every day that whatever our whatever our censor is whatever that transgression is there's a critical moment where the holy spirit confronts us and says don't do that and we can put the censor down and back away and the record will be different but Uzziah became angry and said i'm going to do it Anyway, I don't care what you say. I've made up my mind. I'm going to do this. How many know that's a dangerous place to be? And we read Isaiah 6 so often. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. We read through that sixth chapter of Isaiah, but we're not really familiar with how he died why he died but in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord same temple that he had gone in same place high and lifted up the glory of God filled the place the seraphims flew crying holy holy Lord God of hosts and Isaiah said oh woe is me I am undone I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit was there. The angel took the coal from the altar and touched his lips, and he was clean. Who will go? Who can I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here, here, I'll volunteer. Lord, pick me. I'll go. He left the church a cleansed witness for God. Same church that King Uzziah had left a leper. Lord, help us never to come into your presence routinely. It may be our custom, but oh God, your presence.
may we look at this word and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, when you say no, we put down our censor. We acknowledge the fact that it's wrong. And there's cleansing with God. That's the record that we have of Uzziah. Brilliant beginning. But it's not how you start that matters. It's how you finish. And we want God's blessing. And he will bless us. If we seek God, he'll bless us. I believe that. Let's determine we are not going to let the blessing of God rob us of our sense of dependence upon him. For as long as we seek the Lord, he'll make us prosper. But we don't want to repeat history. I know Pastor Quinn mentioned it last Sunday. If we don't learn from history, we'll repeat history. There's no need. We can look at this man and learn from him. A wise man learns from his mistakes. A wiser man learns from somebody else's mistakes. I don't think we have to make the same ones over and over. That's why we have this record. Lord, teach us by your spirit today. When you become strong, you still need the Lord. When you become strong, you still need the Lord. That's better. Father, I pray that you will minister grace today. Take this portion. It's so much easier when we can see truth in other people's lives.